Marcus Barnes. Well, I guess I'm, I'm going to start the hall because I was the first one to be invited up to do what I would call an old-time Unitarian Church of Austin anecdote. I've got a lot of them, but only one of them I think I'll repeat just now. I've been moving the church here since 1970. My name is Marcus Barnes. This anecdote is one of my favorites. It involves one of our earlier members over here, Diana Latham, and I've had, I had Diana's permission to relate this anecdote. And... Uh, a friend of mine from way back, Matthew McNaught. The setting was about 1982. Diana had just returned from New York. And both Diana and Matthew were at one of our sunflower gatherings on a Sunday night. And Diana had told Matthew, since we parted, whenever that was, I can't remember, there's a lot of things we need to talk about to clear the air that had just fomented during Diana's absence. So anyway, as Sunfire wound down, Matthew came and got a big jug of wine and brought it into the, uh, the uh, gallery out here. He brought up some chairs and he asked Marcus, I was helping clean up, I was on the Sunfire committee, he said, Marcus, would you mind sticking around? He says, Diana, I have a lot to clear the air about and express our grievances, and I think it would be better for all of you to just kind of hang around. Not to participate, so I did that. Okay, doing... The interaction between Matthew and Diana, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning by then. Matthew, in a state of frustration, and Diana was a bit tearful, but this was a good thing, said, well, Diana, why don't you just be a Unitarian nun if that's the way you feel about that? And Diana said, well, you know, I think I've always wanted to be a Unitarian nun. How can you make that happen? That's my anecdote. <laughs> Tina McGoy. Um, for those of you who didn't know Janet McGoy, she not only was a founder, she was probably the most self-sacrificing member ever of this church. During the time from the early 50s until her decline in the late 90s, she served as the church's music director, choir accompanist, proofreader of the newsletter and the program, served on myriad communities, uh, committees, gave a generous pledge. Um, she really uh, was quite a person, quite a power, and quite a lady. She left this church all of her sacred music. Sally Scott. Barking will really appreciate um, My parents came to this church, and shortly after they arrived, I was part of the League of Women Voters at that time, and I was um, in charge of uh, membership. So I had to be, we were having our meeting down at the Zilker Garden Center. So I went, had to be there early, so I went down there, and Chanel Happel, and I don't see here the Happels here today either, but um, they, uh, Janelle Happel had asked my mother if she would like to go, and my mother went down uh, with Janelle, and then Janelle brought my mother up, and she said, Cora, I really want you to meet this very special person. Her name is Sally Scott. <laughs> and my, my mother said, I said to my mother, 
She was and is so good to meet you. We've never been introduced before. Now, this is my mother. Barbara Carson. I have a letter here I thought I might I could read. This was written by my husband David to Pat Spur in nineteen ninety five. And here is what it says. The large tribute to Emily Wheelock Housen in the church library states that she was quote, our only link with that initial effort to establish a center of liberal religion in Austin, end of quote. This is not quite true, and I would like you to consider how it might be revised. You know that Barbara and I were one of the six families who met in April 1951 to begin what became our Austin Unitarian Fellowship. We were charter members of the fellowship and later the Austin Unitarian Church. My great-grandmother, Justina Pickle, and with Mrs. Howson and others, signed the charter of the Austin Unitarian Church in 1892. I knew my great-grandmother who lived in the home for Confederate widows until her death at age 93. We were Unitarians even when there was no formal church in Austin. Barbara and I were members of the Austin Community Church, partially funded by the American Unitarian Association until its name was changed in March 1951. I am a link with that initial effort to establish a central liberal religion in Austin. I visited with Emily Housen a number of times at her apartment, talking with her about my family, Josina Pickle and my grandmother Maggie Pickle Costly. We also talked about the fellowship, which she never attended because she was of a hearing loss. Um, she could she could hear me well enough one one to one. Each time I visited her, she went to her desk to write a fifty dollar check. Her generosity today. <coughs> To daycare for black children was well known, but I had no idea that she was to leave money to the Austin Unitarian Fellowship. I shall be glad to discuss this matter with you at your convenience. <laughs> Thank you. Kitty Clark. Yeah, uh, we grew up, both my husband and I, at the Baptist Church. Southern Baptist at that, and uh, so uh, we hadn't either one been in near a church since we'd been married in one, and uh, uh, we had children, and uh, they would come in to us, they say, we're going to hell, <laughs> and I'd say, oh no, you can't go to hell, there isn't any, and they'd say, oh yeah, there is, and we're going, and so, uh, I said to my husband, well, we maybe should find a church. We better, we better find a place to go and counteract this. Well, uh, my son was in first grade, Matthew School, and George Marshfield was in the PTA there. His daughter was in, also in the first grade. And I said to my husband, I really like that man. And he's political, just like I am. And so uh, we uh, decided we'd come to the Unitarian Church. And so we got up one morning, got dressed, 
and uh, came over, and we couldn't find it. <laughs> it was, and so we went back and looked again in the directory, in the telephone directory, wasn't there. And so we're walking up and down the street trying to find out where we were going. Well, it turned out they were meeting in the Federated Women's Club gallery. And here came Clarence Felcher. I don't know if any of you remember Clarence, but he was a wonderful character. And he said to me, uh, to us, that's where I'm going. And he said, I am not a member, but I like them. And so we went in, and we helped Clarence set up all the chairs, put the handles in the chairs, and uh, before long, we had joined the Unitarian Church. Uh, but by that time, George Marshfield was gone. So we were between ministers, and we had all these lay people and university people talking, which we thought was just wonderful. And uh, then Brandy, Brandy, Brandy came, and he is the one who gave me the nickname Kitty. My name is really Catherine. He had a sister named Catherine. He said, her nickname is Kitty, and from now on, your name will be Kitty. And he was so forceful that before long, all over town, I was known all over Austin. And today, if you ask people who Catherine Clark is, they don't know. <laughs> I have been here, uh, I came to church since the first minister, George Marshfield, was here. I wouldn't be here around the card table while they were doing the charging and everything, but he's the first minister we met up in St. Gabriel Street at the Women's Club and so on. And so I have <coughs> uh, known all the ministers and I joined the church in the late 50s. Anyway, my anecdote is that... Uh, we gave, uh, Randolph Lovely was, was the, like the, the next minister, and he uh, served between uh, 58 and 65, I believe. And I remember uh, <coughs> I did a, a monologue, a going away thing, and it didn't like this. It was a telephone thing. And, uh, but that isn't the anecdote yet. Uh, then the next minister, we had a, so I, they, I was on the search committee. And for the next minister, we went out to different towns. I found a Gene Wisdom. Was anyone here else on that committee? Okay, Gene Wisdom. Okay, nobody's checked my anecdote story. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we ended up uh, going you go to different towns, you hear him preach in different settings, and, and here we travel. We had a lot of fun fellowship. Anyway, we finally ended up with uh, the most the serious guy with the next. It ended up being the next uh, minister was Chuck Howe, Charles Howe. And Charles Howe had been a, had had a career as a university professor. He had a PhD in chemistry. He had a fine career going, and he decided to jump ship and, and get into the ministry. And he helped to eyeballs with the chemistry and board. And so he got, and went back and got retreaded wherever you go meet fellowship in Chicago. And, uh, and he came, uh, so he was up for, our, he was the guy. So what we did, we had to like, you know, he finally came to the Unitarian Church, and this was like, you know, they had, he's going to give the big sermon, and, and he, he kind of pretty much already been decided on by the committee, and, and then it was like, uh, you know, he, and he's going around visiting groups and different things, and one of the things <clears throat> that we had lined up for in the steering committee, do any of you remember 
the barn out here. It's still standing out here by Mopac, the barn. That, that's the place you went for steaks. And they're the first ones that put this big cheese on your table. Now they allow them to do that. And anyway, so we took them there, and they had a bar there with a swinging, I think they had a swinging lady. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and so we took them there, and one of the tests that we had, and, and, and we were serious about this, I don't know if you remember, but out there in the bar, you could buy a, a glass of beer like this, or you can buy a half a yard like this, or a whole yard like this. And we said, we're the committee, and you're going to have to drink a whole yard of beer. <laughs> and he, honest to God, finished that thing. Probably had a good nap afterwards. But that's my anecdote. Thank you. Pat Henley. Wonderful face. Um, my, my husband and our kids moved here just the Sunday that was Brandoff Lovely's last uh, sermon here in the building. So we were between ministers for a, a year or so, and then Chuck now came. But what I want to pass along is the fact that I had three sons and a daughter attending the religious education program here, which we all know is wonderful. And we wanted them to have Unitarian values instilled. And I thought maybe you'd be interested now that 40 years have gone by, uh, what their religious uh, directions have taken. Uh, one, never darkens the door of the church except for weddings and funerals. <laughs> Another one um, has taken in a friend who was in an auto accident and when her insurance ran out he opened he and his housemate opened their home to her he later fell in love with her and has been married for 10 years. Uh, the third child joined the Catholic Church. She was a convert. She uh, studied catechism. Her two boys became altar boys uh, and learned to serve in the Catholic Mass. Uh, and the the fourth child joined a fundamentalist church, and he is a preacher and is the of God. I just want you to know that R.E. program teaches your children to think for themselves. Diana Latham. This is entitled... Life is a special event. When I received my second degree from the university in 1972, my diploma was signed by UT President Stephen Spur, who was a well-loved member here in this church, and I especially cherish that diploma for that reason. Back then, I was a bit confused about whether I was going to be 
a junior league yuppie type person are a hippie. And then when I discovered this church, I realized that I had found my spot. One reason I loved this church so much is that you could be you, and you would be liked and accepted. <clears throat> One of the wonderful things about it was that this church had about 100 active members at that time, and in the mid-70s, things were just becoming kind of creative and uh, permissive, you might say. Um, if I wanted to do something special, all you had to do was ask John Montgomery, who was supposedly adult RE director, and he said, yes, always. <laughs> and I did all kinds of stuff. I danced in the workshop, which was uh, in services with the dance workshop, which was right here in this room, of course. This was the sanctuary. I was much thinner and younger. <clears throat> planned a number of pledge dinners. One of them starred Tom, Montgomery, uh, Tom Moriarty over here singing Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, and he was wonderful. Oh, okay. <laughs> Same difference. Would you care to sing it for us? <laughs> I remember, though, she directed it. it yes, I, I did a number of things like that. Several pledge dinners, a number of eating arounds. Uh, one was with Sally Scott. Oh, there's, there's Sally. One was, was with uh, Jean Willis. They always had themes. I did several weekend workshops, uh, a melodrama. Every time I turned around, I was... I just love this church so much, and I was so involved. But the problem was the board didn't know what to do with me. And uh, <laughs> I believe this guy right here <clears throat> uh, was the board president at the time, Norman Martin, in case I'm blocking your vision of him. <clears throat> and the board finally just gave me a title. It was called Special Events Coordinators. Coordinator. I'm nervous for some reason, and I'm never nervous speaking. Anyway, Reverend Kim and Barbara Beach were the ministers at that time, and they created such a lovely family feeling in this church. I had many Thanksgiving dinners in their home. Uh, we had uh, uh, different kinds of events and meetings there, and they were just wonderful family people with their two kids here <clears throat> who were occasionally rambunctious, but we learned to live with it. <laughs> it was also during that time that when it rained, going down the hall would be a row of buckets uh, catching the leaks from the roof, which we couldn't afford to fix at the time. Let me see. Then, I can't claim to be a founder of this church, but I did found Sunflower, which Marcus was speaking about a while ago. Uh, <laughs> okay. Now, there were a lot of people. Oh, did I mention Sal? Yes, I mentioned that. There were a lot of people on the... Yes. Oh, thank you. Palmer Wright. Marcus Barnes, of course. Um... 
Steve Thayer Banks, who was also a board president at one time. Let me see, who else, Marcus? Uh, Vince Harrison. Marcus, who am I leaving out? Uh, Helen Burnett, she was on the committee. A uh, very hard working committee. Uh, anyway, I, after about six years uh, directing Sunflower, I moved to Manhattan and it continued without me for a while and then I returned. So you can, they say you can never go home again, but I did. So anyway, the conclusion to my little essay is as follows. The church offered me many marvelous creative opportunities that I craved at a special time of my life, and I will always consider this my church home. Whenever I'm down and out, I always remember I'm a special event. <laughs> I'm Maxine Larkin, whom some of you may know. Uh, I want to start first before I say my thing. Uh, all of you who remember Mildred Rosenfeld, she she's Rosenfeld. She is in a nursing home. She is one of those original, almost original, uh, members of this church, and I was reminded about her. She is not here, obviously. I was reminded about her because her husband, Henry, unless Barbara Carson tells me I'm wrong, her husband, Henry, in another manner to located this property on which this church sits uh, and with the $100,000 that Emily House had left as a legacy to the Unitarian Church. And I hope that, that maybe she could be invited to come. She, she is blind, would, would need to have some help to get here, but it would be wonderful if she would be able to attend this. As for my story, uh, you've heard of the case of the missing this, that, or the other thing. My story is the case of the missing minister. And my four years as president, I think the most uh, biggest crisis I ever faced was when I was sick in bed on a Sunday morning with the flu, and I got a call from my husband, who said to me, where is the minister? It's 9.30 or 10 o'clock or whatever the time was, and he was supposed to have been here long ago to give his, uh, to, to do the service. And I said, what do you mean, where is he? <laughs> I said, he's, he's got to be there. And he said, well, no, he isn't. And his, uh, I said, well, did you call home? And then I remembered that his wife was in Boston at a UUA meeting. And so she didn't know where he would be. And so I said, well, what, what can we do? And I thought, well, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, why don't you get up and give an extemporaneous sermon? <laughs> well, he did better than that, actually. He corralled Helen Burnett, and they, the two of them, gave the service for that Sunday, spontaneously, willy-nilly, and we were told afterwards that that was one of the best sermons <laughs> that had ever crossed the pulpit up there. <laughs> but, you know, all of those of us here in the room who have been president uh, know that we have crisis after crisis that we have to meet and take care of, and uh, somehow or other, it strengthens our resolve, and we go on from there and build a better church. I have lots of other stories, but in the, in the subsequent uh, 
meetings that we have like this. I can tell you about a lot of things that happened when we built the sanctuary and all that kind of thing that some of you may remember and some of you may not know. Where was the minister? Oh, you want to know about him? <laughs> he disappeared. Uh, he was found, or he found himself about four months later in April, just before I was ready to, to leave office. <laughs> the next crisis came. That was when he um, surfaced uh, in a homeless uh, facility in um, Phoenix, Arizona, I think. No, Phoenix. He came, no, he was a native of, of uh, Washington State. And his, his um, he, he found a social and as I understand that he found a social security number somewhere in his pocket with his real name on it. And so he called, uh, he found out that he came from, well, I never can say it, in Washington State, and found that he had an uncle there who verified that that's who he was. That's as near as I can remember the circumstances. He was, he had amnesia from what the doctors had said. And uh, I don't think he ever fully recovered from it, but I understand he's now living in, um, was in Henderson, North Carolina, I think, retired. Uh, and I don't know, I lost track of just so many, uh, I don't know, do you, do you know um, Davidson, if he's still, uh, I don't know where he, what, what happened to him. Uh, David Shire. And he, uh, he was our interim minister. So... So those of you who are in the ministry, take care. <laughs>
hold my hand. And she, and she said, I want you to take a step every time there's a beat. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I felt, you can't imagine how stupid I felt. And I, after it was over, I said, you know, Janet, it's occurring to me. I'm spending so much time on, what's it called, parks and grounds or wherever it is. I don't think I really should be in, in the choir anymore. And uh, the next, I, I should have gone the next study to see the relief on everybody else's face. <laughs> Finally, um, one of the things that, when, when we first were meeting in here, uh, two, two things. Now, the second one comes to me. I, go, well, I, was, I used to put the chairs in a building in the grounds. I was putting in the chairs in addition to being on the farm. I was putting the chairs out here on Sunday morning. One day, Charles Howe came over and we said, let me talk to you for a second. He said, you know, I'm being very brief. We're getting over 135 people in here on Sunday, and I feel like I can't really take care of more than that. I can't go there to do the weddings, can't go to the funerals, can't do that. No, maybe we need another church. Can you imagine that today? And he, he felt sincerely that he was correct. Uh, yeah, so then about that time, we would, it was always on Sunday morning that, that back in those days. And the question I'm raising is, how much have we changed as a group you know, experience, and how much have they out there in the greater world have changed? We would, it wasn't infrequent that somebody would, I remember a lady in particular, and this was typical, get up and say, Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm just so glad you spent traffic and now they beat you and whatever they do to you. And, uh, and now I'm in a new character and I'm totally relieved. And, uh, and then she'd sit down and two weeks later somebody else would get up. Well, that doesn't seem to happen anymore. But on the other hand, my friend over here goes to East Austin, Episcopal, St. James Episcopalian, I go over there with her once in a while. I can't stay for as long as they I, so eat bread for an hour if it's too long. That take an hour to eat piece of bread. So I have to get up and lay back. Anyway, over there they've got about one-fourth blacks, one-third uh, Espanol, and the rest Anglo uh, Wasp in this one church. And they, 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 their, theory, their, their idea is we'll, we'll take anything that you can accept. And now... I can remember back here when I first came up at the Dallas church, some lady with, with the beads on and this, that, and the other got up and did an interpretive dance in the Dallas church. You, you get the general idea. Interpretive dance, you know how those are. Well, this made Time Magazine. Ladies doing interpretive dances in church? I mean, you could do somersaults naked these days and nobody would pay attention. <laughs> And yet, so over here, you know, they've gone, I mean, and furthermore, they, they accept people of various uh, sexual persuasions. And so really, I don't know whether we need to change, or whether we should change, or whether we help to affect change. But it's certainly a subject for thought. And I thank you. Rosemary Mac Isaacs. There were several uh, chairmanships that I presiding with a presiding person. Um, but the, one of the re more recent ones, I can't remember the name of it, not on Mark. But we were given the assignment of reviewing the notes of previous board meetings. And it was one of those things that we, we agonized over. It was this important. These were things that we would, this was in the time of Dr. Zelazny. Uh, but the most important thing that came up, 
Mark Barton found $50,000 that somebody had left the church and nobody remembered. <laughs> so we're 50 with $50,000 that are off today. I'm Fred Ellison. I've been in the church with my wife about oh, 30 more years, 35 maybe. But I have a, a story of remembrance of the day that we went to San Antonio to the Unitarian Church there as part of the search committee to find a new minister. And I remember that Helen, Helen Burnett was on that, I believe. Helen, you've got a good memory. You probably remember more. Jeanette, Janelle was on there, but I can't remember others. Anyway, about five of us. And, we went down and listened uh, to the prospective uh, minister whose name was Matthew McNaught. <laughs> and <clears throat> we heard him give his talk at the Unitarian Church in San Antonio. And then, as these things were, we went to lunch at a nice little restaurant over in the Woody was part of Santone, and no sooner had we sat down to start to eat, we just couldn't wait to say it, and, and we said, Matthew, that's about the worst sermon we have ever heard. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good, but uh, at that moment we said, that's just impossible. You can't. You know, we liked him, and everybody thought, well, he's got to be our minister, but you couldn't be with a sermon like that. You remember, Helen, he was smiling. Well, Greek mythology fly. Well, it was nothing like that. Uh, he thought we were all college professors here, everybody. And so he picked out something, you know, he thought college professors would like. And it was impossible. And we... Uh, Told him that, and what did he say? He was stunned a little bit. And then he said, You know, I thought all of you all were mostly university people, and that I would pick a subject that all of you would like. And I said, We all said, Just the opposite. <laughs> Impossible. And so uh, he came the next day or the next few days and gave a marvelous sermon. Uh, which is more, you know, humane and <laughs> down to earth, and it was a great success. And Matthew came right in, and he charmed us all for several years. I, I remember another, I must speak of another minister, though, that I'll never forget, Fred Wooden, who was here um, a little more recently. And Wood, uh, Fred Wooden was the only minister I have ever heard of anywhere who could give an entire sermon in poetry. Uh, he varied his, the, the rhythms, but it was mostly iambic pentameter. But he could do that for 30 minutes and well. And his subject, of course, was that uh, great poet and early Unitarian, Walt Whitman. And uh, so that is memorable to me. And Fred finally was one of the best prayer people. I don't know where you can say a prayer or prayer person or what that would be. But he was a poet and his prayers were were memorable.
Thanks. <laughs>
use it as an investment and a starter for a better church. Well, they went to an architect, an architect built, uh, grew a beautiful building. And uh, they didn't want to take that building. They wanted to say that one would cost about 200000 or more to get started. Of course, I would probably been twice in membership if that first church had been built. I don't know what we'd have, what we'd have lost, but I'd have that reason. Anyhow, I had a, it was such a, the feelings, the feelings were so strong, and I, and I was such an amateur, I, the first thing I had to do was to go and buy a book on Robert Shrews of Oregon. So we could get through, and uh, when somebody asked the question, but well, I'd always move it that that was over and go to something else, you know. <laughs> I, it, was, uh, it was it was quite tense most of the time, and uh, I, there's been some stories told by Mark just a moment ago about uh, they're getting a, a permit. I never heard that story, but that didn't surprise me. But it, it, uh, and it's uh, the, the fifty thousand dollars. Well, that's laughed for me, but I never heard that story either. <laughs> Anyhow, I've uh, always enjoyed being in this church, and every, I think every time I come to this church, I think uh, my spiritual image of uh, how fortunate it is to have a church or a place to meet with people, and can, you can share what you think and accept what they think, and uh, the freedom to not have to worry about it. So... Uh, but we did get through the, uh, the crisis in 60, or 60, 61, or 62, where we started this. This was first built in the school, and uh, some office, that was the first part that was built. And we got that, that service well for a long time until it started to leak so bad. We couldn't but I wasn't too. I wasn't here with you almost that time because I was, as my apartment was growing, growing as a adult probation. And we had about 15,000 people on probation and staff is growing like this. So I didn't, really, didn't have much time to give to the church then. But I, I kind of rationalized that I'd given enough, you know, about eight years of all kind of jobs. And I said, well, I'm going to take a sabbatical. And I've been on that sabbatical ever since. <laughs> Marcus Barnes and Diana Latham. Sunflower. Okay, as Diana has said earlier, she was the founding mother of Sunflower and Budapest. Okay, about three years after I started coming to the church. Anyway... I started coming fairly regularly to Sunflower Day in about 1980, and shortly thereafter, Sunflower was a success that was ongoing. And finally, we elected Diana as program director. Remember that? And when we elected Diana program director, probably the best program director in the history of Sunflower's existence, because Diana had what it takes to get to draw in the crowds. And we even had uh, people 
we even had a full house out here in Housing Hall at the time, standing room only. It got that good for presentations. But the sunflower activities were so very successful, and many more people were drawn in than the sunflower program director. To the extent that I can remember, and Diana, we thought it would be a great idea, Diana would make up posters and she put them all over town, including the Austin State Hospital. Oh, no. I remember several posters. No. Yeah, flyers. We thought, what a great idea. Reach out and get everybody. <laughs> well, a couple of three Sundays after these sunflower advertisements appeared in the, Austin, in the halls of the Austin State Hospital, the character over time of the people who were coming to sunflower somewhat changed. The sunflower attendees grew as a whole took on somewhat of a different character than we had never seen before. To the point that the board, even Diana was concerned, even to the point, what are we going to do about this? It looked, the sunflower started appearing to act like it was a, an outpatient clinic. I'm not joking. Would you agree? And some people would come here who had never been here before and say, what are you running here? Is this sunflower or is this an outpatient clinic? You know. Okay, the, the board of the directors, Maxine was even, I think Sue Fairbanks was on the board, and they, they were concerned about it because we were getting, quite frankly, a bunch of coons in here. I didn't know he was going to tell them. That's <laughs> a great story, but it's true. Really. There was a lot of this, what to do? Well, they finally stops coming, except for a few hangovers that just hung on and they're still happy. But I just thought that was, so far I had one major crisis. We also had a couple of others. Yeah, we won't talk about that. I'm not talking But anyway, I think the Austin State Hospital and the outpatient clinic appearances that Sunflower had for a short time, for another year or so, is worth getting on getting the history. What do you think? I can't this is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.